0: This is David Rothkopf, your host, and as I hear that, I'm thinking, you know, I almost start saying I left my snark in San Francisco. Um, this, I'm, you know, I'm so like rattled here. You know, it's it's World Mental Health Day, and I'm not feeling any. No mental health. So we're gonna have a therapy session today. Uh, We record these on Thursdays, and every Thursday we've got with us Ryan Goodman, who is the co-editor of Just Security and a professor at NYU Law School. And because this is a special Deep State Radio, we have with us Rosa Brooks, um, who is the keeper of the constitutional crisis Brief. For deep state radio, oh, right? right. Um, it's official. It's
1: official now.
0: We're in one. We are officially in a constitutional crisis. Rosa has been resisting this, Ryan, right, for two years. No, it's irresistible, and and it's ir- and it's irresistible. So, Rosa, let's start with that, because um, uh, Lord knows there's no news to go to. Um, uh, wh- why is it official? Why are we in one now?
1: Well, for a long time, David, as as our listeners know, um, I have said, look, um, Trump doing things that we don't like, Trump doing things that break U.S. law, Trump being generally horrible, immoral, and objectionable uh, is not the same thing as a constitutional crisis. We have a constitution that was set up to contemplate uh, a lot of jostling between the branches of government. Um, we have a constitution that was premised upon the idea that there are going to be factions and that each branch of government is going to try to expand its own power at the expense of the others. Um, and all of that is that is normal. Um, that is, it may not be good, uh, we may not like it, but it's, it's normal constitutional politics. And even when Donald Trump breaks the law uh, when the response to Trump breaking the law is that another branch of government or another actor litigates to try to force him to comply with the law, and the Trump administration participates in the litigation, that that's also normal. It's not a constitutional crisis. Uh, you know, it's still it maybe it may be horrible government. It may be immoral. It is all those things, but it's not a constitutional crisis now however um the situation has changed and uh, i'd love to hear ryan's thoughts on this as well now we're in a situation where uh the constitution doesn't contemplate uh the situation we're in we have a direct direct conflict between two branches of government one that's unlikely to be resolved by the judiciary we have the constitution gives congress the sole power uh sole impeachment power, and the House of Representatives specifically has the power to bring impeachment proceedings against the president. Uh, it's crystal clear. Um, we have uh, the House of Representatives is is doing so. Um, and and as a side note, no, they do not need to have a floor vote on this. They can do it any old way they want. The Constitution doesn't give any particular guidance on how they should do it. Um, so the House of Representatives, consistent with its constitutional mandate, has uh, begun an impeachment investigation and issued subpoenas and so forth. And then we have another branch of government, a co-equal branch of government, the branch that is subject to impeachment, is saying, no, screw you, we're not playing. We refuse to uh, comply with your subpoenas. We refuse to provide you with documents or witnesses or anything else, and we regard your proceedings as illegitimate. And that kind of head-to-head conflict uh, where one branch simply says, I don't care what the Constitution says, I'm not doing it. Is it, It's really qualitatively different from anything we have seen up until now. Uh, the courts have traditionally stayed out of fights between uh, branches of government. The courts have tended to say, hey, not for us to decide what impeachment means or or how to go about it or anything like that. So there's no obvious mechanism for resolving this. And and there's more I want to say about the possibilities for this to become even more dire in terms of a political crisis. But, but let me stop there for now.
0: No, we can just sit here quietly and listen to you. You're, you're being extremely,
1: (laughs) I mean, it only gets better. It only gets better.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you one little quick follow-up question before I go to Ryan. Um, uh, both you and Ryan attended law school. I actually did for a semester, but I didn't get to this in any course Brian that I took. Ryan and I, took. in fact,
1: attended law school together. I, I don't say. know if you know that, David.
0: I, I actually do know that. <laughs> I, I, I did know it's that. Been
1: you a sinister coincidence.
0: You, you, met, you mentioned that, but, uh, but I'm going to call you out because, well, the two branches that you referred to are co-equal branches of government, generally speaking. Is it not the case that on the issue of impeachment they are not? that all of the power of impeachment lies with the House? All of the power to deter- the case. So,
1: Well, all the power to, to, to it's the Senate that has to uh, hold the uh, trial? In well, well the, um, to, yeah, but, right,
0: but that's, that's different from impeachment. That's the removal side. All I'm saying is right it's not even a tug of war between two or co-equal branches. The House is allowed to determine how it wants to proceed with this. Um,
1: That's correct. I mean, there's still co-equal branches, but the Constitution clearly says the House gets to do it. The the trouble is the Constitution doesn't give us any remedy if one branch of government says, I don't care what the Constitution says, I'm not playing. And that's what the Trump administration is doing right now.
0: Okay. So, Ryan, are you willing to jump Mm -hmm. on the constitutional crisis bandwagon
1: Bandwagon. with
0: your former (laughs) classmate?
2: (laughs) Um... I think maybe we might have a, might be on the same page, but then the jumping off point might be where Rosa was about to go because she said it only gets more dire and I think there might be a way out. Um, so I, just to say why I am on the same page, I do think what is so extraordinary is that the letter from the White House Council is in fact enacting uh, what only Donald Trump was saying in his just kind of Um, Unfettered (laughs) rhetoric, which was yeah, yeah, like when Donald Trump said, uh, you know, I'm not, we're not going to honor any subpoenas, any. Then people said, well, you know, that's not actually the position of the Justice Department. They're actually saying, when they have executive privilege or certain under certain circumstances and conditions, might they not, uh, uh, might they push back against subpoenas? But this is, as the New York Times uh, headline said, the White House declares war against Congress. Um, And the declaration of war included two pieces. One is that the White House Counsel's letter said that the impeachment is invalid categorically as it currently stands, the impeachment process. And second, as Rose had said, that uh, there'll just be no further cooperation at all um, from the White House because they determine that the process is unfair as well. And because of their, their, their... Uh, Definition of fairness in terms of uh, allowing the executive, the president's lawyers to cross examine witnesses or the minority in the House to call uh, or subpoena witnesses. uh, Because of their definition of fairness, if it's not fair according to the White House, they're not going to cooperate. And that's just nuts. I mean, that really is taking away from Congress the sole power over impeachment, which is in the explicit text of the Constitution. I guess my only thought is, um, and then I'd love to hear what Rosa is about to say about how it gets more dire, is that there's maybe one way out, uh, which is we're in a situation where the House doesn't actually need that information, I think. In order to proceed with impeachment, there is more than sufficient uh, evidence in the public record through the president's own admissions and through the smoking gun um, Ukraine phone call transcript uh, to move ahead with impeachment. So it's not like they actually need the information to get done what they need to get done. And I think, if I'm right, I've detected in Adam Schiff's present uh all his presentations, he's never said it's necessary uh for us to get this information uh to perform our function here. He's just said it's important information. And I think he's therefore avoiding the pitfall that happened with uh Chairman Nadler under the Mueller investigation, which is to suggest that they needed more information before they could make the call. And um And I think that sent the public mixed signals about, oh, they can't really do it unless they get the grand jury information because there's not enough evidence there about abuse of power. We've just got, uh, you know, ample evidence of the gross abuse of power and a threat uh, to the country and the um, president's violation of his oath of office with the Ukraine matter. Maybe that's the way out. Okay. so, Rosa, you said you wanted to go
0: on, go on.
1: Well, that doesn't completely make me feel better. I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, what Ryan just said. I mean, I mean, there is the Constitution is absolutely silent on how impeachment will will go forward. It is absolutely silent on what constitutes, you know, high crimes or misdemeanors and, and treason and how to define that. Um, it's it's not a trial, but particularly in the House, it, it is it is more akin to a grand jury process. Um, uh, you know, it's essentially the bringing of indictment of an indictment is it, the closest parallel to, to sort of normal criminal process. Um, but the Constitution leaves it entirely up to the House to do what they want. And at least hypothetically, the House doesn't need anything. It doesn't even need anything in the public domain. Hypothetically, at least, um, you know, all the House needs to do is, is vote and say, we believe that Donald Trump has, is guilty of you know, treason, high crimes, misdemeanors, et cetera. They don't have to say why. They don't have to review evidence. It, it can, you know, there, there's no constitutional requirement that it is anything other than a, 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 a purely political judgment. And and in that sense, they check on the executive branch by the legislative branch. Um, so sure, they could do it. And in this case, as Ryan said, there's there's lots of evidence already in the public record that strikes me as being, you know, more than sufficient, even if, in fact, they were looking at, uh, you know, if they were, in fact, to adopt, you know, federal law in terms of definitions of crimes here. Um, but, but I think that that, and, that is, and maybe they will go in that direction. I think that the downside of going in that direction is, and this is exactly why I think the White House is trying to force them down that path. Is that if they it it allows Trump and his supporters to continue to claim that somehow there was some substantive and procedural unfairness, and that he is a victim, and that they didn't give him a chance? And unfortunately, I think that there are a lot of Americans who will believe that. You know, so I think it's certainly in the interests of uh, uh, Adam Schiff and and the Democratic Party, and indeed the interests of the nation. To be able to as as much in public as possible, to have witnesses testify, to have documents get out in the open, and so forth. Um, so I'm I'm a little worried about you know I mean I mean right now one might I guess one might say well what difference does it make It's not as though we expect the Senate to vote to remove regardless because it's so many Republicans in the in the, in the Senate. I think at, at this moment, yes, it seems very unlikely that the Republican majority Senate would vote to remove Donald Trump. I think that if the House moves forward without being able to call witnesses uh, from the administration, without being able to get any documents from the administration, that makes it overwhelmingly likely that the Senate persists in, in the sort of non-removal path. Whereas I think there is a possibility, a more, much more of a possibility than I would have guessed uh, you know, even one week ago, much less two weeks ago or longer, that if more evidence is able to get out into the the, the public domain, that things could shift even in the Senate. And I say that I say that um, because uh, we've seen a real shift in the polling. Uh, support for impeachment and removal is up quite substantially in a very short time, even among Republicans. You know, we're even at a point where about 20% of Republicans favor impeachment and removal, which is a, a really stunning shift. So I would really like to see more information come out. And I haven't even gotten, by the way, to my nightmare constitutional crisis mm-hmm. scenario, um, which which I, I suspect Schiff and Pelosi are going to try very, very hard to avoid. Um, but it's here's the really scary one, right? The really scary one is that uh, they don't want to go forward Without just sort of say, okay, fine, you know, we'll just we'll just uh, vote to impeach, you know, regardless of what you do or don't do, Donald Trump. Um, the really scary scenario is they start trying to enforce some of these subpoenas, um, and the White House doesn't comply, you know, continues to not comply, and then we have kind of a full-fledged standoff with the potential to cause real civil unrest and a real split in the a real split in our government's enforcement mechanisms, you know, do, who, who tries to enforce at that point, you know, does, you know, the sergeant at arms tries to arrest Rudy Giuliani or, or some actual, actual paid member of the Trump administration? What if they don't want to comply? Well, who, who comes out to back them up in that situation? You know, what does the FBI do? What does the military do? You know, that, that's, it may seem far-fetched, but we're a lot closer to that than I ever would have thought we would possibly be, and that's a really scary scenario.
0: Well, I think we're not just close to that. I think we are we are in that in the sense that um, it's clear uh, in the Ukraine case that when a case that ought to have been followed up on was presented to the Department of Justice, they chose not to follow up on it. And it seems like they've turned down the heat on a number of cases um, that Mueller was looking into. And I read earlier this week that it seems one of the things that Congress is grappling with is that, you know, if you you hold somebody in contempt of Congress, then you require the Justice Department to enforce that. And they don't believe the Justice Department will enforce that. And so, you know. But
1: that's why this is. Different though, right? We haven't quite faced that before. There's a difference uh, between the Justice Department exercising discretion, even if we think it's politically motivated discretion, not to pursue cases, for instance, versus the Justice Department, say, flat out refusing a, a constitutionally valid, lawful order from uh, either Congress or from the courts. You know, it's the, a the, the pretty big step up.
0: Yeah, no, 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 no question about it. Although it it does get, and I'm turned to Ryan now, but it it does get into sort of what is my related nightmare scenario, and it and it goes back to your point, Ryan, and that is, what if these things are hanging in the air and unaddressed? What if Schiff says, "Well, we're going to go ahead without this. We're not going to challenge the White House assertion." Uh, we're not going to pursue subpoenas that that they ignore. Um, one of the things you do in cases like that is that you set precedent. Um, you 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 weaken constitutional protections because the next time this happens, they'll say, "Well, the White House asserted that, and Congress didn't challenge it, and maybe it's true." And you know, you could say, "Well, that's kind of far fetched," but think about the office of legal counsel memo that the president can't be indicted, not a binding memo and doesn't come from anywhere. Mm. Um, uh, you know, sort of two versions of it floating around over a period of couple of decades, several decades. Um, and it's sort of made its way into something that isn't quite the law, but is being adhered to as though it were. And, uh, I, I don't know I was very pleased to note that I don't know was it this week mm-hmm. when when did that judge in Marrero d- blow it up blow, blow up the Justice Department's assertion that the president couldn't be
2: yeah
0: last eight hours some some point in the blur that is the past few days yeah um, and he said that pres- the presumption of that memo is 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 overwrought or you know overreaching and. And so forth, but it's having all this gray area when one group of people believe in a unitary executive and the idea that the president is the final arbiter of everything, um, and that that's you know not challenging that strikes me as
2: as da- you know as dangerous too. Um. Sure. Um, let me just back up and just say a couple quick things about – I don't think we're going to get into a situation of Congress using its inherent contempt <clears throat> power to try to physically um, arrest or restrain people with a sergeant in arms uh, I do think maybe they would use their inherent contempt power to uh, fine individuals on an escalating basis, and maybe that would
0: – Why do you not think that? I mean, is there some evidence that suggests that they won't?
2: Uh, because it hasn't been used in over almost a de- almost a century. And therefore, the public would have to be socialized and sensitized to the idea that this is possible. And obviously, there's an argument for... You know, Rosa is a law enforcement officer.
1: <laughs> <I forget. Right. laughs> That's a little bit out of my jurisdiction. Oh, <laughs> um,
2: but um, so they would... And they could say maybe, you know, unprecedented times requests for unprecedented action. But I don't think we're going to go down that path. Um so then the question might be that they do issue subpoenas and then those – are or they have issued subpoenas and then they hold people in contempt, criminal contempt. Um, and then the Justice Department isn't going to follow through on that potentially. But one part of that is um, uh, Rudy Giuliani. So as a private citizen, not a part of the executive branch, um, that might be the kind of test case for some of it. And in fact, he's in a ludicrous position having said that he would – appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, with Lindsey Graham, but would not appear before the House Intelligence Committee with uh, Adam Schiff so it's just an absolute um, idiotic excuse me um, position that he's adopting that he can select which you know House of Congress he wants to appear before i I think that would be at least in the Court of public opinion um, a very strong argument on, on congress's side. Let's just
0: stipulate right. so everybody knows we're up to the current moment that Lindsey Graham's idea of having him come testify mm. before the Senate seems like a really stupid idea right now. You know, I mean that was again, that was in the past 48 hours, right? Um but the you know, Giuliani is now at the center of of a FBI investigation <laughs> um where two of his clients or colleagues, we're not really quite sure what uh, have just been arrested trying
1: cronies.
0: cronies that's <laughs> what they are, as cronies, trying to flee the country after having lunch with him. After having lunch with him, like immediately after having lunch with him, if I had lunch with him, I'd want to leave the country too. But you know, the, the, you know, they, they're trying to flee the country, um, and and it and. The Justice Department, when they made the announcement, the Southern District of New York made its press conference in this today, said it is an ongoing investigation. And there are presumptions by some that at the middle of this may be Giuliani um, and that they may, you know, who knows what phone calls they were listening to or, you know, where where this will go. So, you know, I mean, Giuliani is dramatically more vulnerable than he was the day
2: he said, well, maybe I'll do the Senate, but not the House. Totally agree. And, in fact, um, within the last 10 minutes before the show began, CNN reported that the FBI and prosecutors are looking at Giuliani and Giuliani's involvement in the flow of money uh, with these two guys. Right, and through his organization. uh, Yes, so... Um, but I but, you know, yeah. admittedly, um, just <laughs> I don't like pat myself on the back, but I did tweet the moment that Giuliani <laughs> said over Twitter that he was accepting, you know, uh, really appreciates the opportunity that uh, Senator Graham's giving him is I said, like, great. I am so looking forward to him testifying about his false allegations against Joe Biden under penalty of law. I it's said
0: just, this. I, said the, I was on TV at the yeah, time uh, on yeah. the Ari Melber show, and I said the same thing. It was like. Great. Yes. Make my day. You <laughs> right. know, yeah. come on in. Yeah. You know, you yeah. could just see Kamala Harris. And there are a few I mean, Kamala Harris would slice and dice him and leave him, you know, in little tiny pieces on the floor. Yeah. And that's just, you know, one person, a Klobuchar. <laughs> the others would right. do the same thing, right? Right. So
2: anyway, sorry. So yeah. So um so yeah, so I do think that he might be this kind of weak point that they could go after him um I, I you know so I agree a uh, part of what you were saying, David, in terms of like if the house remains- si- if the House remains silent in response to this assault, and I think it's extremely important that members of Congress in a bipartisan as fashion as possible uh stand up against this because it is a total assault against the Congress, that White House letter, and um we'll have a piece in just security that I'm very excited about tomorrow from somebody making that point um and making the point that Congress should stand up, needs to stand up on a bipartisan basis from somebody who uh, served on the other side of the aisle um, as a staffer. Um, and that's, that's their point that, that it's their prerogative, it's, it's the constitutional and institutional prerogative of Congress that they need to stand up for. They also need to recognize there's going to be a Democrat in the Oval Office at some point. They need to stand up for it the, the, because of how much of a demolition that letter is to the separation of powers It by stating that uh, the executive branch gets to determine whether or not there's fairness in the investigations, impeachment or not. It's a, it's a broad based. Well, assault. it's just an extension
0: of Barr's arguments that he's made before, right? Yeah. That the, the, that the, the, only, only the president can decide whether the president can be held culpable for crimes while he's president. Right.
2: Right. So I, uh, I think there's that. I, I think over the long term, I, I'm just like we can settle the long term when we get there. I just think we have to get through the constitutional crisis moment. But in the long term, I I, I hope that some of these um, decisions and practices on the part of this administration will serve as a negative precedent, that people will look back and say, yeah, but that's like the Trump lawyers. You can't make that argument. That's what the Trump administration said in, other, in another sense that that will actually become helpful. It will not be like the OLC opinions, um, even under Nixon and under. Well, Clinton. if it
0: gets challenged, but you know what oh. we've seen thus far, Rosa, is that the Democrats don't challenge these things terribly strongly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and, I mean, the I I hope I hope you're right, Ryan. Um, but of course, the Trump so far is using the early Nixon playbook. Um, and you would think that by now the early Nixon playbook would have been thoroughly discredited, um, but apparently everybody's forgotten it anyway. Um, so you know, to, to to use to use the overused well, to to in fact mangle slightly the overused uh, quote from everybody's all time best named favorite dead jurist learned hand, um, you know, who said, "Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no Constitution, no law, no court can save it." Uh, no constitution, no law, no court can even do much to help it. You know, the, the constitutionalism also lives in the hearts of men and women. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the Constitution is a piece of paper. Uh, it matters only when we collectively, uh, including the president of the United States, have internalized the the norms that are contained in it. Uh, And when people don't care, it doesn't matter anymore. And Trump has made it very clear he doesn't care. Um, His electoral base appears not to care. A substantial number, indeed, the large majority of Republicans uh, in both the House of Representatives and the Senate appear not to care. I mean, what you're saying, Ryan, is, 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 is should be crushingly obvious to anybody who has glanced at the Constitution of the United States. Um, and yet well you know Ryan is
0: our obvious, Ryan is our crushingly mm-hmm. obvious correspondent here at Deep State Radio <laughs> I mean Radio- that in a good
1: way <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that in the best possible way right i mean i mean i mean yes 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 of course it is shocking it is it is it is constitutionally untenable what the what the white house is arguing it is shocking that they are making such arguments with a straight face uh, and yet they are. And yet it is being treated by many Republicans like, yeah, so right. Yeah. Um, and the tr- I mean, th- this is what I was uh, saying. You know, I, I, I you don't have to get to the sort of civil war on the streets of Washington, D.C. scenario to, to say this is this is why it's a crisis now. You know, when when one branch of government just says we don't care what the Constitution says, we essentially you know, spit upon it and trample it, it just doesn't matter. Uh, boy, we're in big trouble. And, and I'm not totally convinced that we get past it. Although I think it is possible, you know, there are ways past it. One of those ways is the public opinion turns against Donald Trump enough uh, that even though he's not removed from office via the impeachment process, uh, that that he is voted out of office in a landslide and that over the Ensuing, uh, you know, decade or so that that we, you know, his views and it's it is possible it is possible that if Trump is defeated in a landslide in the 2020 election, uh, that the views the constitutional views or non views associated with his administration will will be become seen as so discredited that it's another few decades, at least, before somebody tries it again. I mean, I think that the Nixon example makes it clear that just because an argument appears to be completely discredited doesn't mean that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, somebody won't resurface it again. But I think that's the best case scenario.
0: Well, yeah, it's the best case scenario. Although I have to say, once again, I come back to the the instincts of the the sort of leadership of the Democratic Party, um, and include Nancy Pelosi and, you know, Joe Biden, who came around to the idea that, you know, we should impeach the president, you know, yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, the moment that there were four mm-hmm. polls within 36 hours saying the majority of people said he should be impeached and removed. Then he said, yes, he should be impeached. That kind of timidity, um, you know, I, I think is inevitably going to lead to a faction the Democratic Party, should they win, to say, oh, let's, let's begin our process of healing. Let's not pick on these people. Let's not hold them accountable for their crimes.
1: Let's 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 put Mitch McConnell in as Secretary of the Interior or something to extend a hand across the aisle, or maybe Attorney General. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's a scary thought. Yeah, well, but be, you can totally see it. But, but you can see,
0: but you can see this kind of mushy stuff, and and I, you know I just think that we're in a constitutional crisis. We've established that, um, and the question is, what do we do about it? You know, in certain kinds of issues, Nixon, they, were, they subpoenaed tapes. Nixon said he's not going to give the tapes. It went to the Supreme Court. And in US v. Nixon, the Supreme Court said, you have to give the tapes. We resolved that standoff, right? And, and, and that was the beginning of the end for Nixon, right? But, you know, th- th- it is possible that a number of these things will just go unresolved. Because of all of this, and that's, that's a that's a problem. I also would add to the sort of nightmare scenario, and then you can respond to this, Ryan. But that we that we're just beginning to see this. The crazy sipelone White House letter is a direct extension of Bill Barr's theory of that everything the executive branch can make all decisions about everything. Um, but then you had the letter. That um, John Dowd, who used to be the White House counsel, wrote on behalf of these two guys who were arrested saying, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me, but saying something to the effect of, well, they were working for Rudy Giuliani on his work for the president. You know in other words, Rudy Giuliani is the president's lawyer theoretically. is he getting paid? Is he not getting paid? We don't know but but you know these guys were working for him, and you can just see them laying the predicate for executive privilege i mean they they give they'd use executive privilege for people who've never worked in the White House. so why not to a couple of people born in the Soviet Union? <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, but you know, going to strip clubs and pumping money through shell corporations. Um so, you know, I, I'm just saying it could get worse before anything gets resolved, if anything gets
2: resolved. It it could, and and I um agree with you on some dimensions of the timidity criticism, especially over uh, Corey Lewandowski to have allowed this administration to assert that he had executive privilege like that was who who didn't see the writing on the wall that that would therefore mean Giuliani too or so or you anybody yeah, right right so I, I agree with that I guess I just think that um, I'm worried as a one step at a time tactically what should they do and one piece of it is I I think it could be a tactical a mistake to try to start to litigate this, like the subpoena of the Nixon tapes, and try to take this all the way to the Supreme Court and have it drag out. Um, I think that this should be done expeditiously, um, and um, so I think that's a a large concern. And in some ways, the White House is even luring them into litigation because their stance is so poor as a kind of a litigation posture to enter litigation and. Suggest that the White House is being accommodating when they sent the demolition declares war letter, um, shows that they're not even trying to win in litigation. They're just trying to run out the clock. And so I think that's a big concern, and that the big question is, does Adam Schiffs and the, and the other two committees, do they get the enough information to proceed and the public to come with them as the public is with them right now? Will Ambassador Bill Taylor do what Ambassador Volcker did, and that is resign, in order to testify, or testify, in any case, whatever the White House is trying to tell them not to do for the good of the country, and knowing that the Congress has the upper hand in its argument on the Constitution, but it doesn't have to be litigated. I think that's, to me, key. And then just one last bit is, um, in terms of timidity and what the norms are being set now in this moment for the future, You know, just one point to make is, um, no matter, I don't think it's fully satisfying, but this isn't about like, well, the way they should push back against that letter and the White House stance is by litigating it. I think they're about to push back against that by saying that's a part of – that's a predicate for an impeachable offense. It, it will be one of the articles Well, they keep saying that. They
0: yeah. keep saying that. They say, well, if you don't do this or you don't comply, we're going to add an article of obstruction. But if you think Mitch McConnell is going to block removal, then they can have 50 articles of obstruction and it's not going to have any consequence. So it's kind of toothless.
2: Um, but it it does well, stand for time as the Congress pushed back as harsh as hard as you can, at least in the House side,
0: yeah, I, I think that's right. Let me pick up on what Ryan said, Rosa, and you obviously can, as you often do, just ignore my question and go wherever you want um, but okay. Um, okay. but um, <laughs> but you know, when Ryan says all of this, and I agree with Ryan on virtually all things, um, but what i I think of is the Mueller investigation, where Mueller said, well, we didn't have time. To go through all the court um, mm. hearings to get the president to testify, and I think you should have taken the time. <laughs> you should have gotten the president to testify. We didn't have time to run down all of these leads. We wanted to end this in an expeditious way, and I think honestly he was playing both sides of the track there. I think you know he was getting pressure from Barr before that, um, from Wilkinson. You know, let's wrap this thing or Rosenstein. Uh, 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 Rosenstein, you know, let's wrap this thing up um and uh and and that was a mistake and and you know I think to some extent, you know this Ukraine thing is indicative of the kind of mistake that it was because um this Ukraine thing started last spring uh, it it, uh, it you know these discussions were going on last spring part of the Ukraine discussions involved the president continuing to try to push a Russian based conspiracy theory that the Russians didn't hack us. The Ukrainians did part of the, 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 um, the Mueller investigation had to do with obviously Manafort who had ties to Ukraine, to Russians based or Russian supporters based within the Ukraine. Part of this, uh indictment uh, you know the arrest that we saw today apparently has russian money you know at least one source that they took was russian money that they then channeled through this uh you know these uh, this pack um which i was delighted to see don junior was involved with um uh it, you know just because you know I'd li- i really would like him to you know um, have his have his time in the barrel, as Roger Stone would say, but but you know this the Ukraine case. and I actually wrote an op-ed in USA Today this week about this. The Ukraine case is the Russia case, and when we define things narrowly, we lose sight of that. And I I per, to me that seems d- dangerous. So Rosa, you can ignore that and just consider it a monologue, or respond. <laughs>
1: well i mean first of all i think yes if the house votes for impeachment that i don't think the house should restrict itself to the incidents arising out of the ukraine phone call um, or associated cover-ups and associated obstruction and so forth Um, i think there is no reason whatsoever for the House not to include uh, prior bad acts by Donald Trump obviously they're trying to get their hands on uh, the actual documents collected by uh, Mueller's investigation which would make their lives a lot easier if they can if they can get that the Trump administration's litigating that um, so and 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 I be partly because I think it is it is really important for the American people to have, Laid out in as much detail as possible, um, this is not this is not one single thing. This is a long series of uh, acts um, of illegal and inappropriate acts. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important for the present. It's important in terms of uh, making it very, very clear to any member of the public who is willing to stop and think about it. Not everyone is, but many people are. Um, exactly how deep this this pattern of, of criminality goes in the Trump administration. Two, I think it's, it's, it's important for, for history, for posterity, if you will, um, to lay that out there in, in, in the impeachment uh, in articles of impeachment. Um, you know let's let's just get this all out there. Um, it makes it, it makes it harder to counter it. Um, I, I'm torn on the make it last a long time versus, get it over with quickly. Because I just, I just, I don't know how that plays out. I I, I don't have an opinion on that, I think, because, because I can, I can see the argument for, you know, take as long as it takes. What's the rush? Um, If we, if we know that there is no current likelihood that the Senate votes to remove, then there's, you know, then what's the downside to dragging it out? Um, It's, can't get any less likely to remove. It can only get more likely. And in any case, maybe it's better for the Democrats' electoral prospects to have this uh, drag on through the next election and and maybe and more and more information surfaces in the meantime. Um, on the other hand, I, I, I can see the argument that then people just get bored of it between now and then. You know, one interesting question um, that comes up, obviously, there's you know, I said earlier, that the Constitution doesn't say anything whatsoever about the impeachment process. It also doesn't say anything that prohibits the House from trying again and again. I mean, hypothetically, the courts could bring uh, articles of impeachment based on events arising out of the Ukraine call. Uh, the Senate could uh, refuse to remove from office. Um, and then two months from now, if new evidence surfaces um relating to something else or you know the the house could try again it could impeach him again on different charges in fact for that matter you know arguably it could impeach him on the same charges there's no double jeopardy provision in impeachment it's it's a political it's a, essentially a political call so I, I don't know how any of that plays out and my guess is that nobody else really does either
2: go ahead so um so i have a different view i i, I think that they should focus like a laser on the ukraine gate situation and obstruction and the cover-up surrounding it and if they expand it too much it will lose too many americans and um democrats in purple districts might start getting uh cold feet and the public might think oh these are the democrats out to get him for, for so many different things and policy differences this is something that should unify a large swath of the American public. We're seeing something in the polling we've never seen before, including the twenty percent. And there's another you know higher percent of Republicans I think it's near thirty percent that think there should be an impeachment inquiry for Ukraine. So I think stay focused. And I think if you all another problem with expanding the scope is that then these things do drag out because how can you not follow certain leads until you finally finish it on emoluments or children in cages or other things like that? Um, or getting his taxes, and and um, and 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 as you say, uh, Rosie, you can do that later too. If you want to do that later, you can do that later. And I think if you drag it out, there are a number of different problems. Uh, one, unforeseeable events. What if we're in an armed conflict with, say, Iran, in February of 2020, and then the sentiment is, oh, you don't want to impeach a sitting president while he's at war, of this this character of war, or shh, shh. <laughs> don't give <laughs> right. don't give him any ideas. Right. Um, or, or we're getting closer into the um, election season, so that Democrats, um, also in purple districts and whatnot, get colder, you know, cold feet. Or if they've done the vote and they're in those more vulnerable positions, and the vote happened in 2019, and then they start to work again, and as they have been continuing to, but it's more salient on health care issues and other things like that, then the voters think, you know, you didn't. Switch your focus away from my bread and butter issues of what I care about and what I need for my family on a day to day basis come November twenty twenty so I think there's so many other calculations that might go into there are at least downside risks uh, that have to be taken into account, and I think those may be them
0: yeah, and I, as we said, I think on this uh two weeks ago, maybe when when Mimi Rocco was on the mm. the show, we said, do it, you can do it serially. Um, and in fact, I, I I noticed that Larry tribe, uh, Harvard law school, um, has recently adopted that view. He's, he's been pushing that view, which is do this one now, reserve the right to do others later. Um, and you know, I, to me, I have a slightly different view, which is, I think we ought to focus on the things where they're rock solid cases. Um, uh, but again, It can be serially. But for example, you know, somehow the Trump administration was successful in selling the idea that the Mueller report, you know, did not contain anything damaging the president. But as we know, quite apart from its implications about collusion, what it said in terms of obstruction was, in many cases, open and shut. You don't have to use whatever it was, 12 examples, but, but eight of them are open and shut and like, let's... Let's not let that slide. You know what? What he did there was 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 a bad thing. You might say emoluments, or you could say federal election violation. Since there's a Southern District of New York case that already mentions him, and somebody's in jail for it already. You know, so mm-hmm. I think there are few cases that are really clear where you could make this point, and um, but they 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 could be handled serially. Rosa, how should people handle the fact that we're in a constitutional crisis? Is there a constitutional crisis cocktail that you have turned to uh, for comfort in, in in all of this?
1: <laughs> man the barricades, David. <laughs> dig out the dig out the bunker. <laughs> I don't know. Um, actually, can I can I I, I am going to ignore that question because I, I wanted to raise a, a point that we haven't talked about yet. Um, which is the, the impact of events in Syria uh, mm. on, on the impeachment debate here in the United States. I, and and I, I do think one of the things that we're seeing um, has been that when Trump suddenly announced following this call with Turkish President Erdogan uh, that he was pulling U.S. troops out of northern Syria – um, so that Turkey could go ahead with its planned offensive. Um, that so angered so many Republicans that it sort of raises the question of spillover from that to uh, impeachment and and other issues. I mean, as as you know, one of the things that has just baffled me on and off has been, you know why is the GOP sticking with this guy you know why aren't they saying to themselves you know president mike pence would be a lot better for us than president donald trump um and clearly the they they continue to think that whatever his failings you know even if in a secret ballot they'd all wish trump away that they they couldn't survive politically with their own bases if they publicly repudiated donald trump and I wonder whether events in Syria have a possibility of changing that calculation for at least some of them uh, and maybe eventually enough of them. And I think a lot of that depends on on you know what happens in the coming coming days and weeks. Um, you know, if Turkey's uh, incursion ends up being limited, um, uh, you know maybe everybody sort of forgets about this and it becomes just one more thing that wacky old Donald Trump did. Um, But if this becomes a total bloodbath and we have 10,000 ISIS prisoners of the Kurds are suddenly wandering around free, um, uh, you know, could that could that change the political calculus of uh, GOP members of Congress? Maybe so. I I don't know what the the rest of you think about that, but it, it has been striking how much that has sort of shaken his support base amongst Republican leaders.
0: Well, and it is an issue of national mood, and the national mood is changing. You've got members of Congress who are on the Republican side saying, I don't want to be associated with that couple. You've had H.R. McMaster, his former national security advisor, talking about what a mistake he thought it was. And then when asked about the Ukraine thing as a follow-up question to all of that, said, no, that was definitely wrong. So there are some connections there. And then, um, of course, there are actually other connections, Um, Between this and that, Donald Trump has a couple of dozen uh, properties, Trump Organization properties, in Turkey. Um, We might remember that Mike Flynn was working for the Turks before he was um, uh, asked to leave his office and uh, pleaded guilty to a crime. There is a case involving a Turkish uh, financial um, uh, uh, player. Um, that they wanted to go away, and Rudy Giuliani was working on that case, and apparently even Lindsey Graham, according to a a a, a, a prank call that he sort of revealed his agenda on, uh, that was reported both by Natasha Bertrand and also by Julia Yaffe. Um, you know, uh, that was involved there. So you know, this all these pieces kind of connect quite apart from, uh what Rose is talking about, which is betraying an ally.
2: Do you have any final words or thoughts on any of that, Ryan? Um, Well, I I think that Rose is right that this is a – something has happened dramatically uh, in terms of a wedge between the president and his strongest supporters, including evangelical leaders um, coming out against what he's done and the slaughter of the – what seems to be the impending slaughter of the Kurds. And it's like Nixon uh, during the Watergate um, impeachment proceedings. The faltering economy um, hurt him at the same time. So I can't imagine that the president's approval numbers are going to do anything but slide. And as they slide with impeachment going on, uh, it creates a storm. Um, Well, it
0: also creates an opportunity for the Republicans to say, this guy is an anchor around our neck. We could Get rid of him right now and have a new candidate in 2020, and we might all be able to keep our jobs.
2: Right, um, and and he might, and in multiple ways, be toxic uh, to them and for their electoral chances. Otherwise, so I, I do think that there's uh, something happening, um, and the ground is shifting in a certain way that we haven't seen in the, and it's all happened within the last uh, seven days since we last uh, did the pod.
0: I wish we had the production values, and then we would bring in sort of Britney Spears singing "Toxic." <laughs> You know, as the background, as our, as we faded out of all of this, obviously, um, there's a lot to discuss here. This is a turning point. Uh, there were, as I said, four polls that had the majority of Americans supporting both impeachment and removal, including the Fox poll at 51 percent, which the president at his most presidential today said sucked <laughs> He said, Fox polls suck, which I just thought, wow, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I hear the Star Spangled Banner in the background. But um, we're we're definitely at a turning point and we'll talk about all of this. And the point that you brought up, Rosa, we'll talk about on Monday, uh, on our Monday pod, because Stephen Walt wrote an article for foreign policy just yesterday on how impeachment is going to affect foreign policy. And it touches upon the Kurds thing. And Stephen Walt will be joining us on Monday, as will General Mark Hurtling, former commander of U.S. Army in Europe. So we will follow up on that um, good thought. Uh, for those of you who'd like to follow more of what we've done and, and Unredacted podcast uh, came back out this week uh, and, and had a, a great— uh, conversation uh, with Josh Campbell formerly of the FBI in front of a live audience which was kind of a lot of fun. Um, and uh, 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 just go to the dsrnetwork.com and 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 listen to the other things uh, or read other things that we have written or become a member, you know, which you could do. It doesn't take much time. You could do it right now. Gifts, think about Christmas. Um uh, Sukkot is coming up, the Jewish holiday next week. Wonderful Sukkot gift is is a membership at Deep State Radio. Mm, okay, maybe not, but um, uh, you know we're just we're, we 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 would appreciate your support. So thank you to Rosa, thank you to Ryan, um, and uh, thank you to all of us, all of you for joining us here at Deep State Radio. <laughs> Can you
1: just thank all of us.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. Yourself, David. Thanks all of us. Yeah, I never thank myself. No, thank me.
1: Yeah,
0: thank, thank me. You, David. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank Thanks. Thanks. Thanks me. Um, and and uh, we'll see you again soon on another episode of Deep State Radio. Okay. Right. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media.